Awesome. You asked for it, and we are diving into the question today, how can we trust the Bible? And the answer is simple, so this is going to be a very quick sermon, because the Bible says we can trust the Bible. So good night, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you. No, we're going to talk about the best-selling book of all time. And so in the last uh, century or so, the best-selling books of all time, they say between uh, 1815 and 1975, over 5 billion were printed. And uh, how many of you guys think you know what the top three best-selling books of all time were in the last century? Not of all time, in the last century. You don't know? All right, let me read them to you. The Bible sold 3.9 billion. The works of Mao, 820 million, and 400 million, Harry Potter. <laughs> Any Harry Potter fans in the place? So you guys did a good job buying these books, but we are talking about the Bible and a lot of our answers to the questions we've been asking, like should women be able to preach, or why do bad things happen to good people? We've been referencing the Bible and saying, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, but what if you don't believe in the Bible? Like what if you don't trust the Bible? So we're going to address this question right on. How can we trust the Bible? And we aren't the first people to fight the foundation of living on the Word. We aren't the first people to challenge the Scriptures. And in fact, Jesus actually warns us in Matthew 7 about people who decide not to develop or live their lives on the foundation of a solid rock of the Word of Jesus Christ. And he says in Matthew 7 this, Everyone who hears these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I like the scripture. It talks about how rain falls on all of us. Christian, non-Christian, rich, poor. We've all experienced shakings at some point, amen? Where things have been challenged. Storms have come into our life. And Jesus encourages us, are you going to build your life on a solid foundation? Or are you going to build it on sand? And today I believe that the scripture is a solid foundation that can give us structure and hope and peace even in the midst of the storm. And my prayer is that as we talk about the legitimacy of the Bible, that you would find hope today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to address this question. And I pray that you would just increase faith and that we would worship you, not with just our emotions, but with our intellect in our mind. Lord, I pray that you give us tools to understand our faith, and you give us faith to understand what you're doing in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would help the thinkers to believe and the believers to think. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this whole idea that Jesus talks about, he talks about two different foundations. A foundation of rock that is firm and a foundation of sand that causes destruction. So a weak foundation 
brings about a strong devastation. A weak foundation brings about a strong devastation. And I've learned a few things about foundations. In March, I did a 30-day challenge. How many of you guys know about this? Where I said, I'm going to build something in 30 days in my backyard. And on that 30th day, by golly, I'm going to sleep in it. And so I started building a structure. And some of my rules were, I'm going to use materials that I find all around town in Bellevue. So I found some pallets at dumpsters. I was sneaking around. I'm not sure if I was stealing. I'm not sure if I broke the law, so please don't judge me too much and pray for me as well. Uh, and so I would drive around town, and if I saw a pallet, I would pick it up. I would sneak into different places like Sneers. And if there was a Sears, if Sneers, <laughs> if I, I would sneak into Sears. And uh, if there was a door open, you better believe I walked in and I took a pallet. I don't know if I broke the law. I don't think I did. Because I called some stores ahead of time and they said it was totally fine. And so I gathered all these materials. And I'm not a handyman. I'm not the son of a handyman. I'm not good with tools and things like that. I don't know how to build things. I'm in front of a computer all the time. In fact, when I married into my wife's formerly Amish family, uh, her, her, uh, her brother-in-law who married her sister, I asked, so like, what did you do when you first were falling in love with this, this girl from Amrita's family? He's like, I built her a house. I built her furniture. And I was like, I'm not a handyman. I, I built her a blog. And uh, <laughs> it worked. I got into the family. <laughs> and uh, so I'm building the structure, and it, it just doesn't look sound. And so you can see this picture. This was the first thing. I just, I just started leaning pallets against each other, and I was like, I did it. I've built something. I'm a builder. And uh, I, I contacted some guys, and they're like, that is not good. We need to help you. And so the next picture, some guys came over and started to help me plan here. Here's Randall and Andrew and Zach. And then actually, we had a build day, and Will and Ben, Jordan, Zach, Noah, some of these guys came over, and they started to just help me build this house. And they were uh, keen on having a strong foundation. They're like, you can't just lean things against each other and called it a structure. And so actually Noah and Zach, right over here, right where this wheelbarrow is, they actually uh, tilled the, the soil. They tilled the ground. They got rid of the weeds, and they got dirt out, and they used a wheelbarrow, and they plowed it away, and then they made that ground really level so we could have a strong foundation. And then they put a big piece of wood on there, and then they, they nailed the walls to the foundation so it was strong. Otherwise, it was going to fall on me while I slept and nobody wants that and so here next picture you can see this is what we were able to build this is my son Obadiah please say ah okay he's a cutie pie and we got we got some chairs here tiki torches and we had a strong structure uh, next picture added some of the finishing touches there there's a white picket fence built built a table and some benches in there it's awesome and so on the 30th day on good friday you may have seen this on facebook live but i spent the night in there and i did it we did it it was a solid structure come on i need a round of applause there we did it Randall, why do you have an Easter invitation on your lap? <laughs> well, anyways, <laughs> throws me off guard. Well, we did it, and, uh, and if you want to see the process, go to Pradeepin.com, but you're probably already there. Uh, so the fact when I built this structure is 
a foundation really makes a difference. If you have a weak foundation, you're setting yourself up for strong devastation. And I, I believe that in our culture, we need a foundation. But we've been taught something in our culture that you can just follow your own truth, that you can believe whatever you want to believe, that you can just go through life and kind of change your thoughts. Everything is kind of relative. And people don't really believe in absolute truths anymore. People don't believe in strong foundations, whatever works for you, whatever is good for you. But at the same time, we have a generation that feels like we don't have purpose. What is the meaning of life? I feel like I'm just floating through this world. I feel like I'm not anchored to anything. I feel like there's no real stability in my life. There's no reason for hope. And I, I feel like now more than ever, we need a foundation. And I believe today that that foundation that we've been gifted is God's word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. But how do we trust the Bible? And that's the question we're going to answer. And without a foundation, what can we trust in? If we don't believe in absolute truth, if we don't believe that there's any foundation in this world, why would we have hope? Why would we have peace? Why would we feel like I'm not an accident? Why would any of us say that we matter if there's no real foundation? If there's no foundation even of morality, why is it wrong for me to kill someone? Animals kill each other. People have justified murder in wars for thousands of years. What is wrong with murder if you don't believe in truth? What is wrong with murder if you don't believe in morality? What is wrong with murder if you don't have a foundation? And I believe that this whole idea of following your own truth, being your own guide, has led us to have a foundation that is sinking sand, that has led to devastation in our lives, in our families, in our nation, and in the world. And so I believe that the Bible is our foundation, but how can we trust the Bible? The argument of why do you trust the Bible? Because the Bible says so, does not cut it in the real world, amen? <laughs> it just doesn't work. And so I'm going to address three common obstacles or objections people have for the Bible. I'm going to address these things. People will say the Bible from back then isn't the Bible we have now. It's like one giant game of telephone over thousands of years. The Bible Bible is just a collection of fairy tales, and the Bible was made by people to control people. And so we're going to address these questions head on and these objections head on. But first, let's give an overview of what is the Bible? What is the scripture? Just real briefly. And so let me read Luke 1, 2 through 4. It says this, just as those from the beginning, and this is Luke actually talking about what, why he wrote the book of Luke in the Bible. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke says in this scripture, why did you write the book of Luke? I wanted you to have certainty. I wanted to be an eyewitness account. I know other people have written about these things, but I wanted to write, write it for you, most excellent Theophilus. I think we should greet each other like that. Like, how are you doing, most excellent Brandon Morgan? <laughs> you good, you good. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Can we try that? Who's willing to try that for a week straight? All right, awesome, Andrew Jennings. And so, uh, <laughs> so the Bible literally comes from the Latin word, which means biblia, it, which means the books. So the Bible literally means the books. It's like a library. The Bible isn't just one giant book. It's 66 books that are written over thousands of years through different authors that all have the same message and point in the same direction. It's really amazing. And so let's dive into these three common arguments against the validity of the Bible. So the first thing, I want to talk about is this. How can we know that what the Bible really said, what the Bible really said since it's gone through so many changes? Have you guys ever played the game of telephone where you, you have a bunch of people and you whisper a phrase into someone's ear really quietly and then they whisper it to the next person and then they whisper it to the next person and by the time you get through 10 people, the message has completely changed. Has anybody experienced that? And so we have a Bible that was written like thousands of years ago. How do we know that it's accurate? How do we know that the message is the same today as it was back then? Sometimes we think of the Bible as being lost in translation. In fact, I was watching this video a number of years ago on Jimmy Kimmel on a late night show and there was this sign language interpreter who had done some major events interpreting. He had uh, interpreted for President Barack Obama, for this memorial for Nelson Mandela in South Africa, and they found out this guy actually wasn't real. Uh, he was making everything up, and things truly were being lost in translation. You guys want to see a video of this guy in action? It's pretty awesome. Let's play this video. Lost in translation. So how do we know <laughs> that the message from back then is the message we have now? And uh, this argument is, is pretty intense if you look at it. But I'm so confident in the word of God because we have one of the most accurate ancient documents in all history. I would actually argue it's the most historically accurate document of all ancient writings. And so there are two tests that people commonly give to know if we can trust the Bible. The first one is called the time gap analysis. And another question is about manuscript amounts and how many manuscripts we have. And so uh, let's look at this time gap analysis. So this is the time between Jesus Christ lived and the first authors wrote, or the time between when Plato lived and when authors wrote about him, or when Caesar lived and when authors wrote. So you can see right here, so Caesar lived, and the 
first biography about Caesar was written a thousand years after he lived. So that's a lot of time. So if someone wrote a biography about me a thousand years from now, it probably wouldn't be as accurate if they wrote a biography about me tomorrow. You tracking with me? And so we can see Plato 1,200 years after Plato was alive and dead, he was written about. And how many of you guys believe there was a person named Plato, that he has real writings? Well, there's a 1,200-year gap in between him living and him being written about. And the New Testament, the gap between Jesus Christ dying and people writing about him, 25 years. So as far as the competition on ancient historical writings, the Bible kills it here. And so if you believe that Plato's writings were accurate, you have to believe that the writings about Jesus were accurate by that same logic. Another question we can ask is, how many manuscripts uh, about the person were there? And so we can see, like, with Plato, um, you can see, I want to illustrate this with beans. So with Plato, you have seven manuscripts that talk about Plato. So, like, if someone talked to you and said, hey, I saw Pastor Pradeep and do 100 pull-ups in a row, you'd be like, kind of skeptical, right? Well, probably, actually, probably not very skeptical. But, uh, <laughs> no, you'd be pretty skeptical. Yeah, right, you did 100 pull-ups in a row, I don't believe it. But if 20 people walked up to you and said, wow, do you guys just see that? Pastor Pradeepan did 100 pull-ups in a row. Because there's many different people, you'd probably believe it, right? And so we see, for Plato, there are seven different people who wrote, or seven manuscripts about Plato, written 1,200 years after him, which is crazy. All right, Caesar, many of us believe that Caesar existed. Ten manuscripts, right? So seven, ten. And then, as you can see, with the New Testament, let's just see, we have over 24,000 manuscripts. Isn't that crazy? 24,000 manuscripts. Come on, somebody. And so you see arguments against the Bible when it comes to manuscripts and accuracy don't mount up to a hill of beans. Church in a comedy club. No joke. That smells good. Here you go, Randall. Take a bean. Take a bean. <laughs> and so the, the evidence here as far as the same judgment we use for historical ancient accuracy, it's overwhelmingly positive for the Bible. And I wrote it like this. If you don't think there's enough evidence to believe the Bible or the accuracy of the Bible, you don't think there's enough evidence to believe in Plato or Alexander the Great. And most historians don't argue that Plato existed, that the accounts of the Caesar or Alexander the Great are accurate, but for some reason we question the Bible. But the, the fact is, it's not even a competition. All right, and so listen to this quote by Ta Time Magazine. Have you guys ever heard of Time Magazine? It's not like this Christian bastion of hope, right? It's not really Christian at all, but they wrote this. Reputable scholars now believe that the New Testament account is reliable history. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And we know what the New Testament says, the writings of Jesus. I mean, it says some pretty wild things, and they say that is reliable history. So the next question, isn't the Bible a collection of fairy tales? So isn't it a myth? I, I remember when Andrew Jennings and I, we first moved out here, he said, uh, Pradeepan, you know, I've heard so many of your stories. They seem 
too crazy to be true. I don't know if I quite believe them. But then one day we went to a donut shop, Voodoo Donuts in Portland, and uh, there was a group of high schoolers all wearing these basketball shirts. And I thought, man, there's all these basketball students. I'm going to cheer out their name. They're called Phoenix Basketball or something. So I yell, Phoenix Basketball! And none of them cheer. And it's super awkward. And I feel, I feel like I exposed myself. I thought they were going to erupt and glorious cheers, nothing. Well, uh, someone standing next to us says, uh, do you get it? Did you figure it out yet? I was like, no. And then we looked at the students again, and we saw that they are all using sign language. They were deaf. <laughs> and so I'm just yelling at a bunch of deaf high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was super intense. And then Andrew, right after that story, he goes, I now believe your stories <laughs> because I'm actually in one of them and I'm experiencing them for myself. And so in, in evaluating the legitimacy of texts or stories, you have to ask, are these only biased accounts? Are there any people that verify these stories that aren't attached to the story itself? In a legal term, I believe it'd be called corroboration or verification. Does anybody else confirm this from a different point of view? And in the Bible, there are nine non-Christian sources within 150 years of the life of Jesus that tell the same story. In fact, there's this Jewish historian named Josephus, and he wrote this. This is a crazy quote. This guy doesn't even believe in Jesus. He's not a Christian. He's Jewish. He's just a historian. And he actually writes about Jesus. He says this, at the time of Pilate, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he perhaps was the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Isn't that incredible? Someone who didn't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord confirmed the story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected and appearing to his disciples. And so my question is this, why would non-Christians verify the life of Jesus Christ? And there's nine accounts. There's more sources for the Bible than New Testament accounts, more than any other ancient document. This is crazy. And so this is a kind of a bold statement that's a little jarring when you hear it at first, but it's this, we don't need the Bible to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. We don't need the Bible to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Another biblical scholar who's a little skeptical about things found in the Bible, he writes this, that Jesus was crucified is as sure as anything historical can be, since both Josephus and Tacitus agree with the Christian accounts on at least this basic fact. Pretty compelling evidence, isn't that? That's amazing. And so another test that I like to give, a third question is this, didn't people create the Bible to control people? Have you ever heard that argument? It's just made-up stories that people use to create a religion and control people. Well, the questions we have to ask is, did the authors ever write things embarrassing about themselves? You know, when I post a picture on Instagram, or you do, you probably don't post the very first picture. You take another picture. You work the angles. You work the lighting. You thrust that hip out just right. And you, you get the 
the upward angle, so hide your chin a little bit. And you do a squint, and you make sure the light hits you right up. And it, it, you take a picture, and then you're like, I don't like that. I'm going to take another one. Be honest with me. Can we make this a safe place? How many of you guys take multiple pictures of yourself before you post it? Yeah. All right. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I have multiple verifications to testify that you're lying. It's totally valid. And so... These authors, did they write anything to make themselves look less than ideal? Because back in historical writings, people typically would write things about themselves that made them look really awesome, make themselves look really good. But we see something unique in the Bible, that the authors made themselves look really bad. Like Peter, one of the founders of the church that really took this thing forward, Jesus at one point calls Peter Satan. That doesn't really, that's not something you want to write or really have an account of. The disciples are all recording as denying Jesus and abandoning him when he was on the cross. Talk about embarrassing. They trusted the first person to share the resurrection of Jesus to women. And back then, women's words, their testimonies, were not even allowed in court because they weren't official. And yet, the early writers of the Bible include that that women were the first people to witness the resurrection of the Jesus. Like, why would they do that if they were trying to make themselves look good so they can control people? If I was trying to start a movement and control people, I would not make myself look like an idiot. I'd make myself look like, man, I'm like a little lower than the gods. I was walking with Jesus. I'm awesome. I totally walked on water, and that's all you need to know about that. I never fell in. No, no, you're in underwater. Like, no, like, I would make myself look awesome, but we have to ask ourselves, why did they write things that made themselves look embarrassing? And eventually, many of these authors and disciples die for their faith. They die for this message. And if these things were recorded 20 years later, they're lying to people who are like, I was with you back then. You're lying. Uh, but we know that these messages are true. They're accurate. And these disciples eventually die for their faith. And here, here's a quote uh, from an American atheist by the name of Robert G. Ingersoll. He says this, No man is fool enough to die for what he knows is a lie. An irrefutable fact that adds great weight to the apostles' testimony. This is from an atheist. Super powerful. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher and mathematician. He wrote this, I prefer to believe those writers who get their throats cut for what they write. And so why would these disciples die for a lie they made up? And so I, I just believe that the message of the Bible is accurate, more accurate than any ancient writing. The Bible message, these New, these New Testament accounts have been verified by people who don't have any uh, thing that benefits them in verifying the message. And just thinking of it like we would through the court of law, these people are sharing embarrassing things about themselves and eventually they die for a lie. And I, I just believe... <laughs> I believe we need to walk on a solid foundation, okay? Not a foundation that's just gonna crunch and be destroyed, amen? Come on, this is good preaching right now. We need to walk on a solid foundation, not beans. <laughs> not just beans, uh, you know, but just real, kind of transitioning a little bit. Before I was Christian, I really bought into the American dream. 
My whole family did. I bought into this idea that truth is all relative. Just follow your own truth. Do what you want. It's all relative. And for me, that is something that really backfired on my life. It was a dangerous thing to believe in. You know, I, I was a, a really depressed kid, and I was a suicidal kid, and I, I, for some reason, found a truth that if I can make others suffer, I will feel better about myself. If I can pull others down, I will feel like I'm not that bad. And so in my middle school days and high school days, for some reason in my twisted brain, I thought if I could get my friends to commit suicide, I would be a better person. Isn't that twisted? I actually believe that. And so I would actually plot out strategies to spread rumors about my friends in school, to get them to question themselves, to get the whole student body to turn against them. And I, I would try to get my friends to believe lies about themselves. And eventually, many of my friends started to get depressed and hopeless. And uh, uh, my, my friends would come up to me and say, hey man, I was standing in front of the mirror for about an hour yesterday with a razor blade, just thinking, I need to kill myself. Those words Pradeep says, they're absolutely true. Isn't that twisted? And that's why this message is very personal to me. That's why the Bible foundation is such a gift for us. Because for people like me who are just like, didn't have an anchor, who are twisted, and I found my hope and truth and by making others suffer, I wanted to see how far I could take that line. You know, I, was, I was actually crying last night. I had, a, I had to bring Amritha over to me because one of my friends, he was actually considered one of my best friends. He, he eventually did commit suicide. And uh, this kid was a genius, man. He was taking like calculus math when he was in middle school. And I just think about all the words I said to him, all the things I, I said to him to try to get him to commit suicide, all the things I did to try to poke and prod him because I just thought there's no such thing as right and wrong. I'll just follow my own truth. And who cares if he dies? Animals kill animals all the time. What's wrong if I contribute to this guy's death? And this guy eventually in Minneapolis walked into the highway and got hit by a car. I was just looking through the obituary and the Facebook messages that people wrote on his wall, and I was like, I contributed to that. And I, you know, I've, I've asked God for forgiveness, and, but still, there's like a scar there. I, I remember that. And it's just twisted what life is like without a foundation. And many of us are building our lives on things. We're building our lives on the foundation of fear, we're building our lives on the foundation of money. We're building our lives on the foundation of popularity. We're building our lives on the foundation of intellect. But I want to let you know that it's on Christ, the solid rock, that we truly, we, we can stand. And all other ground is truly sinking sand. And I, I, my prayer for all of us is, would you find a foundation that lasts would you find a foundation that actually stands the test of time, that doesn't lead you to being twisted like I was, that doesn't lead you to just being hopeless and without a purpose like I was? In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says this, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Gandhi says this, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. We have the Bible. 
We have the Bible. It's a strong foundation. It has stood the test of time. Let's build our lives on it, Kalos Church. You know, the song we're about to sing, it says this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand up to our feet and let's sing the song. Dear Father, I pray that we wouldn't take your Bible for granted. But Lord, I pray that we would build our lives on a firm foundation. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be twisted like I was. We wouldn't just find our own truth, but we would build our lives on the truth of your word. For those of us building on bad substitutes for your amazing foundation, for those of us building our lives on fear or just relationships or just intellect or just these things that people have told us. Lord, I pray that we would stand on something that has lasted for generations and generations, that we would build our lives on your word, we pray. Let's sing that song and make this our declaration. Can we do that, Kalos Church? Let's sing. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest faith, but only lean on Jesus' name, on Christ's solid rock. Father, we choose to build our life on the foundation of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us, and we know that storms are coming, but Lord, we have peace even in the midst of the storm, because we know that you are a strong foundation. We know that weak foundations lead to strong devastation, but thank you, Jesus, we have a strong foundation. You know, Kalos Church, I believe that this message can be a tool for you. And uh, I also understand that there are people here today, you're saying, my life has been built on a weak foundation. I don't have an anchor in my life. I don't have peace. 
Pastor Pradeepan, would you pray for me? I want that hope you have. I want that fresh start. I want to know that Jesus has my back and that I can build my life on him, that there have been storms and rains that have been hitting me and I need a foundation. And so if that's you in this place, I, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. He is a firm foundation. How many of you guys have given your life to Jesus, built your life on the truth of Jesus, and you're so thankful? And it's the best decision you ever made. And my prayer is that every single person in this place would have that be a reality, not because it, it's an obligation, because it's amazing. It's a hope. It's a strength. So if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Pradeep, and pray for me, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to build on a strong foundation. I want to pray for you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. But if that's you in this place, on the count of three, raise your hand and I'll pray for you. One, two, three. Just lift your hand up right now. You're saying, Pastor Pradeepan, pray for me. I want to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Raise it so I can see it. That's awesome. Awesome. I see a hand up. Is there anybody else? You're saying, I want to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's pray this prayer together, can we? The prayer is going to be on the screen, and let's pray all together at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause in this place? That's awesome. Praise the Lord.